Okay, we're rolling now. Are you going to say hello to the people? Hello. Are you ready? Because you said you weren't ready a moment ago. No, I'm not ready. I'm actually nervous. Isn't that weird we get nervous before doing I get nervous. I've never got nervous before. Ever. And now you've made me nervous. God, I'm sorry. There's hello, like... everybody. And welcome to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. The very third Shut Up and Sit Down the podcast. The very third. And, uh, God, we've got, some, third. we've got some board games for you, don't we, Paul? Well, we've got a list of... We, do, we have them here in a massive stack. And, oh, if we could show you. If we could show you. It looks quite stuff. dangerous. I think it's about to fall down, really. I mean, especially that one at the top. The one that keeps creaking. If we can hold out for about 45 minutes? Yeah, if this, if this tower stays. We've become reverse board game Jenga here and breaking the laws of uh, physics of good taste, of, of just all the laws, the laws of the UK, really. So if I reach up and I take the top game off the stack? The top game, it says, uh, would be Puzzle Strike, probably, because that's the game we received this morning. It's quite a big box. It is. Uh, Puzzle Strike, so if we just kick off with games that we've received, and then we've got an interesting system for the podcast, well, we're going to be rolling a dice, and whatever number that dice shows you will be the game that we talk about, the game that we play this month, we're going to talk about the podcast. Paul came up with the system, so if it doesn't work, blame him. Uh, yeah, uh, and it won't, because I'll be re-rolling over and over, because yeah. I just roll three again and again. <laughs> okay, so uh, the board games we've got that are new, I think, yeah, the stuff that's arrived on our table, we'll kick off with that. So, yeah, tell me about Puzzle Strike, because so, you know a bit more about it than I do. Yeah, right? well, I punched out about 400 uh, chips this morning. So Puzzle Strike is, uh, yeah, that is a game, we're actually, we received the third edition of Puzzle Strike this morning, and um, what we've got here is a game... doesn't make a noise when I, sorry. That's because it's all packed with styrofoam and card. Um, right. It's Dominion, basically. Uh, is what Puzzle Strike is. It's it's Dominion. This this whole idea of card building, except how uh, whereas Quarriers was a dice building game, giving you dice that you bought and then put in a bag and shook and drew. Um, Puzzle Strike uh, lets you each be fighters trying to collect stacks of chips uh, which, rather than cards, which is a kind of mixed uh, bit of symbolism there. But yeah, it's 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 actually emulating a video game uh, puzzle fighting game using chips that you buy. But you do a thing where you try and actually pass your stuff to the other players. Yeah, well, it's a bit confusing. So you've got chips, which is actually your stash, which are your chips, which give you special abilities. And what you're doing is, like in Dominion, you're trying to build an engine, except whereas in Dominion, the engine was just to let you pick up more cards. In this, it's much more aggressive. You're building an engine to fling chips at your opponent into their sort of jewel stack. And if they ever have more than 10 jewels there, then they lose. So it's actually a game of sort of like hot potato where you're desperately trying to fumble all your chips into somebody's uh, bag. And... It's, I like that, because uh, unlike Dominion, the, the way the game's built here is to encourage last-minute comebacks. So if I give you all the chips and suddenly you have 12 chips in your stack and you're about to lose, maybe you just draw the right chip to give me 8 of them and suddenly I've got 14 chips in my stack. And So the game can be ultra, ultra intense. In theory, I haven't played it yet. So, oh, okay. Yeah, I just punched out all the components this morning, but it looks... Uh, <laughs> Which is the basically, it's better, basically better than playing. Yeah, to be, that is the highlight. You're taking off the cellophane and then it's all downhill from there with, with board gaming, wow. I think. But it's like, so you've got a, a Dominion kind of thing where you create a machine like a catapult that then just throws stuff at the other players. Mm-hmm. So it's more interactive. It's exactly what it is. It's massively interactive. And there's also Dominion-like chips that uh, will let you look at your opponent's card. And all, oh, wow. more importantly, Puzzle Strike, emulating fighting games actually has ten different fighting characters out of the box. So if you're, like, the one of the ones I looked at this morning was, is the panda, and he's all based around good fortune and luck. So one of the, And all these characters have chips they start the game with. Super special powers that'll determine whether they're aggressive and, or, or passive or, or chancy, and uh, that'll determine how you actually build your engine. So unlike wow. Dominion, there's no one way to play the game, depending on what's on offer and the character you get and the character your opponents get. 
hopefully the game will play differently every time. And but mostly it's drawing chips and putting them in a bag and jangling it all together. It looks extremely cool. Big wow. box, glossy, loads of stuff going on. Um, that's very interesting. So, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm kind of keen to just do that now. Yeah, we should probably just stop recording and, and, and play it, but we won't. Uh, so, the interesting counterpart then, uh, the op- we've got Puzzle Strike, this huge game that arrived on our door this morning. Big, lots of components, deeply mechanical. We got a tiny Jiffy bag as well, uh, which is the other prize we got um, this week uh, for a game called Guts of Glory. Uh, a prototype, and we don't usually review Kickstarter games or prototypes or that no, stuff. No, we tend to look at a finished box thing that people can buy, don't we? Because exactly. that's part of the point of the show. Right, but this this one we kind of made an exception for. We're not going to be reviewing it, but we just had to look at it because it is so us. It's, it's by far the funniest game we've ever looked at. I don't know if I can do it justice. So it's a post-apocalyptic eating game, uh, and it's all wonderful because it's not even... Everything is abstract. Uh, yeah. you're, you, you're, you play a, literally a mouth eating spiders and washing them down with motor oil, trying to gain glory. The game's deliberately uh, abstract in the concept of why are you eating these things? Because it's glorious. You know, how are you doing it with, with strength and cunning and style? And the whole game is about sort of putting things in your mouth and trying to chew them and putting things in your opponent's mouth that they can't possibly chew. Because your mouth has to be full. You have to be eating things constantly. And if somebody puts like a tyre in your mouth, then you're in trouble because that's going to require lots and lots of chews. But, you know, maybe you can, you know, eat, swallow a teleporter, which will let you teleport the tyre into someone else's mouth, and then suddenly their mouth is full of tyres and spiders while you're eating a boot, which is much more manageable. And someone else eats a fridge and wins the game immediately. <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredible. It, it just made me laugh more than any other game I've ever played from just looking at the components mm. of the pack. Uh, so Blimey. yeah, but that's comparatively very small. So uh, yeah, we've got we've got definitely two ends of the spectrum. We've got Puzzle Strike, which is huge, glossy, massive box, very expensive, very clever, and then something that's tiny, lightweight, uh, and just about eating. And then all the dice as well. The dice for D Day dice. Oh God, yeah. So <laughs> D Day dice. Um, I, I picked this up myself because I'm just very very curious. Um, Cooperative game. This is something. Another thing we're hoping to play very, very soon, and in our in our to be played pile, which is the best pile in my house, even better than the pile of. Um, uh, that. that yeah. No. We, yeah. we don't talk about that no. pile. No. Uh, so, but D Day Dice is a game for one to four players all working together uh, to storm beaches and they're normally landing, and there are a bunch of boards which are all different beaches um, or bits of grass, D-Day battlefields, basically. And you're all working to get... <laughs> I've only skimmed the manual, but I know that it's a Kickstarter game that has a lot of kudos on yeah. Board Game Geek, and this game is about you rolling dice, and then the number of men you have will tick down, and you know your amount of, sort of bravery will tick down, and you're pushing forward, snaking up the board, and also all working together, and trading the few cards you get, and the dice rolls you get, to help out your friends. To try and do the best that you can. I remember it being on Board Game Geek... Like I was telling you earlier, like a year or two ago, as a prototype, mm. where it looked very interesting. But now, uh, you mentioned to me as well. There's now a version where one player can actually play the opposing side. Yeah. So I, because uh, asymmetry is just one of my favourite things in board gaming. I love the fact that people around a table can be having a different experience. Because when you finish the game, you can then share that experience. You can say, "What was that like for you?" Yeah. Um, with the Atlantic Wall expansion, which I saw and then immediately had to buy. In fact, it sold me on D-Day Dice. It's this idea that another player controls the Germans against between one to four players. So they're all working and worrying and, and all this stuff, and then this this fifth player, or even second player, is uh, is running their own German problems, and then at the end of the game, hope, presumably, that player will be able to go, oh my god, I can't believe you didn't make it, you were so close there, and they'll say, what, you seemed really cool and under, cool under pressure. They'll say, no, I had German problems. <laughs> yeah, and they'll say, tell me about your German, I want to be the Germans, and then you can exchange roles. Interestingly, one of the first games we've ever looked at, which is Ghost Stories, uh, has an expansion I haven't been able to play yet, which is Black Secret, yeah. Dark Secret. 
which lets somebody else play all the ghosts, which is fascinating to me. I can't believe I have another chance to play it yet because um, ghost story is petrifying. Those ghosts are just inhuman, horrible monsters. And, and it's know, a kind of a relentless game. Yeah, of course. That's I remember. The so Paul's one and only experience of ghost stories, and I feel so sorry for you. Was you played it a lot I, more than I have? Haven't yeah, you? yeah, and I said, Paul, play this game with me. It will be great. And then what happened was Paul's character spent the entire game in a watchtower ringing a bell. I was good at it, though. You were. I never, I never once not didn't ring the bell. <laughs> yeah, which is definitely one of those problems of card games. If the whole table decides what one player is doing, would be would be useful. You know, Paul just keep ringing the bell. The bell sends all the ghosts back a space. To clarify. We had Paul sending ghosts backwards when the object of the game is to kill all the ghosts, and we were just trying to keep them at bay by ringing a bell. It was, I don't know, it, it did work so for us. <laughs> I think our, our tactic was flawed. I should mention that there's a, uh, a feature me and Paul have been wanting to do. Every time we meet a board game designer, we ask them how good they are at their mm. particular game. And the guy who designed Ghost Stories told us that, uh, in a really kind of frustrating, frustrated me really, the, uh, he said actually he found his game easy, and even on the hardest difficulty setting, he could walk anybody through it, which is. I, which makes me love and hate ghost stories so much more because it means that there is a way to do it, which makes me love it, but that I'm not clever enough to find it out, which makes me hate it even more. I have so much of an emotional attachment towards this game. Well, that's kind of like... I'll come on to another game in a moment where that happens to me all the time. Mm. <laughs> um, but there was another thing you wanted to mention that is that, that you collected. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we have started receiving games now, and that, that's, that's fabulous. That makes us feel like proper celebrities. But we, we do still buy them. We're still, we're still just like you guys. We're just, you know, we have an important website. So don't, don't feel bad if we you listen have, to this. Yeah, no, we all have criminal records and yeah. community service and that time. Exactly. Don't, don't talk about that. So uh, the other game I bought was Mission Red Planet. So in the very, very first episode of Shop and Sit Down, we talked about a game called Citadels yeah. by Bruno Faiduti. I almost certainly got that wrong. No, I think that was probably okay. Cool. I think that's good. Uh, so Citadels is a game where ultimately you're all trying, trying to pick which of eight characters you're going to be. Are you going to be the king and get gold, uh, or going to be the assassin and kill another character? And so it's kind of like... Um, uh, God, how would you describe Citadels, Paul? Well, it's sort of hidden roles, but it's hidden roles making the best of what's handed to you, uh, mm. and then you've no idea what anyone who who they are. Yeah, exactly. So really, it's a game all about predicting character. Who is he going to be? Who am I going to be? And trying to—it's like a sort of dance, like a knife fight with roles. Um, so that's just a card game, and it's a fantastic card game. But Bruno's gone on to design a game called Mission Red Planet, which I picked up this week. And it's the Citadel's mechanics, but transported into a massive board game. You're still picking characters. You're still having that knife fight, except. There's this whole beautiful-looking mechanic where, rather than just building your own private little city, you're all trying to put explorers onto the same ships and then fire those ships onto Mars, which is this big board. You're all trying to control it. So rather than the Citadel's thing of, aha, I've killed your character, or I steal your money, it's now, okay, which ship am I going to... Who am I going to use to put people onto what ship? Because, Or am I going to try and blow up another ship? And it's just desperately trying to get your men onto the board. And once they're on the board, you have a whole other game to do with moving them around and area control. It just looks incredible. Like... Everything that was great about Citadels, but with with the sort of lightweight city building thing, which nobody really cares about, replaced with this whole gorgeous sub game. I really think it's going to be awesome. And you said uh, everyone gets to have a hand of characters, which are a bit like the Citadels yeah. characters anyway, where you're all an engineer or an explorer. Or... Exactly. So unlike Citadels, where you have one hand of characters for the whole game and that's passed around, in this you have something a bit different, not necessarily better or worse. Um, everybody has their own hand of characters, so potentially everyone can be the saboteur on round one, which would just be hilarious because all the rockets would blow up on the launch pad and it would be horrible. So, uh, but the I thing bet that happens though, yeah, no, it will, uh, and we'll we'll get on to talk about a game where that does happen uh, later on in the podcast. But um, 
Yeah, so the thing is that your characters, you play them and they go face, face up on the table, so everyone can see what you played. With the twist being that one of your eight characters is worse than the rest, but in playing him, you pick all of your characters back up. So the thing is, if most of the people ah, around the table yeah. have played the saboteur, you know you're probably safer. But suddenly, if somebody picks the saboteur back up, you have to be nervous again. So it's like the Game of Thrones thing, where once you use mm, the general, mm. they go into a discard pile, so people get to see you whittling down your cards, and they have a better idea of what you might do next. Yeah, what exactly. You can't do. I, Game of Thrones is a system. Yeah, we just love that because the idea that all the battles in Game of Thrones are important, but you have crap commanders. <laughs> it's like when do you play your crap commanders? Uh, God, that's a that's a great game. If you haven't seen our Game of Thrones review, go and read it because because um, oh, you're missing out on a great review. Also, a, a decent board game. <laughs> uh, so I think we've we've covered the new stuff that's landed on our desk. Um, Paul, do you want to implement your dice rolling okay. mechanic, and we'll right. see what we're going to talk about next. We've got a D8 here, fact fans. Um, and actually, Paul, before you roll this, I'm going to tell the people at home an interesting fact. I nearly did. No, don't. Oh, that was close. Okay, so everyone at home. Here's an interesting fact about how board games are made, about how dice are made, actually, sorry. So you can, you can tell this with your friends next game night, you're going to tell them this fact, they're all going to think you're a cool cat. So a uh, friend of mine went to a dice factory and said, uh, and he learned a lot about making dice, and he also learned that this, this company can only make D6s, so six-sided dice, on certain hours of the day when the temperature and the humidity is correct in this part of middle America where the factory is. Wow. Because otherwise the dice don't set properly and they warp ever so slightly. What are they made out of? God, no, some kind of plastic. But they're, they're something. Mold, I couldn't tell you. But so my wow. friend learns that, you know, the dice have to be moulded and they have to be left to cool at a certain time of the day. Now here's the interesting thing. So my friend asks, well, what about all the other types of dice? Don't you have to do that with them as well? And he says, no, because people only care if D6s are warped. Any other kind of dice, from a D4 to a D20, D8, D12, I could have just named all of them there. <laughs> no. um, those dice are rolled less frequently, and people have less of a grasp of the odds of things coming up. So people don't care if they have a D20 that tends to roll 19s and 20s, because they'll assume that's chance. With a D6, we don't do that. But so in practice, D6s aren't well made, are perfectly well made, but everything else isn't. Wow. So, so I, yeah, no, I thought that was super, super interesting. The fact that, as humans, we just don't really care. Which means, people at home, if you have a D20 that you swear rolls once more than any other, it probably does, and you should probably put it in a fire. I thought God. that was cool. No, well, I mean, obviously, the, something like a D20, obviously, you want to roll that many times as well to get a good average. Probably a few thousand. Yeah. Better start now, really. <laughs> so, and now we've, we've, we've established that the, the, what we, the life we've, we've built for ourselves is a sham. Paul, why don't you roll that dice and we see what we're going to talk about? God, it's not even a very good D8. It's just a dainty one I've had for years. wonder how loud this is going to be. Paul is uh, two. The Resistance Avalon. Ah, mmm. Now, Paul, mm. can t- so th- uh, we reviewed The Resistance way back in Series 1. This is a, a game of talking. Where- Paul, have you lost the dice? No, I just, there was something on the floor. I don't okay. know what it was. A spider. Anyway, Maybe. so The Resistance is a game of talking. We looked at it back in uh, Season 1. It's a, it's a wonderful game. It's actually probably our game that we would use to introduce people to board and card gaming. Everyone on the table is either a spy or a double agent in, the, in a future society. And you're all trying to figure out who the spies are, the spies know who one another are, and really it's just a game of talking. And sending people on missions, and then if there's a spy on those missions, they inevitably come back and fail, and then it's, oh, who can you trust out of these three people? One of them must be a spy, and it's part math, but mostly just lying. 
and saying, <laughs> I don't trust him. So the people who make it have sent us the, a prototype, an early copy of the Resistance Avalon, which we'll be mm. recommending to you as soon as it becomes available in shops. Paul, how does it differ? Well, uh, that, God, uh, in a whole bunch of ways, because even if you have just five players, which is usually the Resistance limit of three good guys, two bad guys, uh, you're immediately giving extra roles to people. Yeah. And I'll try and remember what all the roles are. Uh, Merlin's the big know. one, right? Merlin is the main one. Um, there's Morgana, there's Percival, there's, I think, Oberon, is that it? <laughs> uh, but what do they do? Merlin is one of the good guys who, when you're all... should probably start from the start. When the game of the Resistance begins, everyone closes their eyes, but the spies open their eyes. You have a card tells you you're a spy. You open mm. your eyes, you look around, you see who the other spies are because they have their eyes open, and then you know, you know you're all on the same team and you have to quietly conspire without giving away who you are. Merlin after that happens in the Resistance, gets to find out who those guys are. Which would, in theory, make it really easy for the good guys, because Merlin can just say, they're the bad guys, but Merlin can't reveal that he's Merlin, because if the, when the game ends, if the bad guys find out who Merlin is, they just they say, all right, we know this guy's Merlin. They get to assassinate him, they win. So Merlin has to... It's Don't very weird. Game. Yeah, so you, you were Merlin in this game, weren't you? Did yeah, you no, it was yeah. just insane because you have this bizarre thing when you know who the spies are, and actually you end up being less involved in the resistance than you usually are because, like, you you just can't accuse the spies accurately. You can't say it's because they'll murder you at the end. Yeah, which is weird. So I spent the entire game accusing the wrong people to cover my own tracks, which obviously wasn't helpful for the resistance. It was really helpful for me. Yeah, it was really helping. Paul was a spy, and so. But the amazing thing was at the very end of the game, in the last round, I know they, Paul. Well, you didn't know I was Merlin, did you? Until I, at the very end, I had um, about sort of three or four rounds in. I thought you might be because I was trying to work out who Merlin was, and obviously I knew who the other spy was, and I was pretty sure that our friend Tom, who we were playing with, wasn't Merlin because I think if he was, he would have been less. Angry, <laughs> repeatedly going on missions that failed. Yeah. So the um, oh god, the the problem really was that as Merlin, I ended up having an insane final round where the two members of my own team were accusing each other, and that meant we were just going to lose the game because they wouldn't be sent on a mission with each other, and they had to go on a mission together for me to. So I ended up spinning some nonsense maths. About, oh, I realise it now. Here's a mathematically perfect way that we can prove Paul's a spy, <laughs> and then that just immediately gave me away. So we won the game as we went on the correct mission, and then uh, and then they said. You're Merlin, aren't you? And I went, yes, and we lost. But you also you are acting very wise and measured in a <laughs> kind of way. And that that I don't think that helped your case. Probably not. But that's that's one of the dudes. I should have been more panicked. Um, and everyone else plays into Merlin, don't they? Well, yeah, you've got Morgana, who's sort of like who I actually was in that game. Who's, if I'm saying this right, they're like the bad guys version of Merlin. Yeah. That, well, no. Oh, no, we mean Percival first. Percival, okay, yeah. so Percival, uh, after Merlin opens his eyes, Percival opens his eyes and learns who uh, Merlin is. Yes. So that it, so already you've got something that's a bit more... He's one of the good guys, obviously. And then you have Morgana, who purely acts as a red herring. When Percival opens his eyes, he sees Morgana and Merlin mm-hmm. opening up their thumbs. So he knows one of them is a bad guy and one of them is Merlin. So you can see how the Resistance Avalon basically just spirals. It, it's the Resistance with more to think about, and I think I definitely prefer it to the Resistance. And if I'm correct, uh, you've got Oberon on the bad guy side who doesn't know who anyone is, and he's just a <laughs> oh, bad yeah. guy. Oh, yeah, Oberon's a bad guy who doesn't know who the other bad guys are, which is super interesting. <laughs> and so he's just playing by himself with the, the objective, I guess, to make the bad guys win, but he doesn't know who's on his side, <laughs> what's going on, who anyone is, when when's dinner, yeah, any of that. No, it's, it's, it's glorious. It's the resistance, but even more farcical. And the best thing about it is that 
it's exactly the same as a regular game with the resistance. You know, you're all sat mm. around the table looking at each other, going, "Oh, if only we knew who the spies are." Except it's even more farcical because in the resistance Avalon, more than half the table knows who the spies are because you have Merlin as well, which means that more than half the table is acting, and there's only a very small number of people who are genuinely in the dark, not knowing who the yeah, spies are. Which is kind of amazing, and the, I mean. The, it leads me to ask the question, would you ever go back to playing standard Resistance? Again? Ah, that is a good question. And no. Well, I mean, it's still a great game, but the fact is, as long as the option's there, there's no reason not yeah. to, isn't it? it? I think it adds a really... It literally adds more dimensions. It just makes it a bit more complicated, but not that much more, but more exciting and gives you gives everyone more kind of meat to chew in their brains. Exactly. More brain meat brain chewing. Meat. So, okay, that's the Resistance Avalon. Look forward to that. No idea when it's coming out, but do pick it up when you see it. <laughs> Tom, I mean, Tom, Paul, why don't you roll the dice again for great I'm dice not justice? Tom. No, I know, you're not. An eight! Ooh. Oh, it's, okay. Uh. <laughs> no, it, we have to follow the dice. So, okay. here, so here's the thing, uh, shall I sit down, fans? Um, we just rolled an eight, which says uh, subscription. So, we want to talk to you about something. Yes, and we want to put this out to people to, I guess, take everyone's temperature, see what they think, because we don't really want to go ahead and just. Do, do stuff. No. We'd rather see what people think and how they feel about us and what they... So I'm just going to let you say the next bit and I'll run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Paul's actually leaving the house as I speak. There he's out the front door. Bye! Okay. Uh, so, the subscription thing. Me and Paul are getting busier than ever, uh, really, with um, with our day jobs. We started trying to sit down when we both happened to be in a period. Not unemployment, exactly. But I was, basically. Okay, so, and I, my job involved me uh, working four days a week, which meant that we could start trying to sit down and make it amazing. We definitely want to keep up the same amount of content as we ever have, the same quality as well. Quality, particularly. Yeah. Important. Uh, we really, really love you guys. We'd like to thank you all for watching. And the thing is that our traffic's creeping upwards. And so, really, we've got you know we've we've got really good hopes for the site. We've got a lot of love. We have really nice fan mail a lot of the time. But really, we'd like to do more posts, not less, which is problematic because we're having less and less time. So we're starting to need to earn a bit of money from Shut Up and Sit Down if we want to keep up the same amount of content or do more. So uh, the thing that we had in our heads was basically I know that on our donate page up till now it said um, if you want to give us money, just buy a board game of your choice because we're doing this type of board gaming. But actually, we need to start doing it to help ourselves. To be blunt, so. The thing we'd like to suggest is um, something that uh, is the method used by a site called brainpickings.org, which is a fabulous site. I've probably got the URL wrong, uh, but it's a good site if you ever find it. Um, <laughs> uh, and what that offers is a subscription service which just allows you to subscribe. It allows you to become a patron for various small benefits. I'll cover the benefits we'd be giving you later, but ultimately the subscription is of an amount of money of your choice. It's a monthly subscription, which can be for $20, $50, $1,000. It can be for $1. We're expecting, you know, just throw us a couple of bucks every month because if we get enough of this, then... We can we can uh, you know start earning a living, which would be amazing. Uh, also, you can just simply make a one-time donation of one dollar, and that will give you access to all subscription benefits forever. Um, so it's up to you. And the subscriptions that we've outlined for you guys would be okay. So first of all, outtakes, uh, outtake reels. Got uh, a few of those knocking around. Yeah, uh, we want to provide um, audio files, which are commentaries yes. for all the episodes we've ever done, which could be very interesting indeed. Because yeah, we'll there are some absurd backstories behind lots <laughs> of the shots, like the time we almost killed ourselves with a smoke machine in James's kitchen. Uh, it was good. Or the time we almost died oh, of cold in the that. bang review. 
Yeah, cold and uh, we almost died of heat and cold in two different episodes. So, um, and deleted scenes. Uh, deleted scenes was not something because we. There's a few bit. Yeah, there's a few little extra bits knocking around. It's <laughs> yeah. basically it would be a sort of potpourri of a lot of different stuff that yeah. you could get without really paying very much. Exactly, and the big things we as well to... would be a monthly newsletter as to what what sort of we're working on, on the site that month. That would just be sort of your the subscriber gift. But most of all. We'd potentially be running a sister Tumblr along with Shut Up and Sit Down called Shut Up and Sit Down and Don't Stop, which is a site which would be purely compressed of first impressions. It, it would be um, compressed, made up of first impressions. It we could would be, compress it. We could compress it. Well, it will be compressed because the idea is that we put a lot of time and effort into the site proper. This would just be us bashing out first impressions of anything we do. If we replay a game and we change our mind about it, it goes up and don't stop. If we just receive a game, open it up, and the components are fabulous, we put it up on the site with a photo. If we've played a game for the first time and immediately have an impression, we'll put it up. And this will be us writing, so there will be jokes, it will be humorous, but it'll be much shorter. And really, it would purely be a site for people who love what we do and just want more of whatever we can It's like a scrapbook, really, isn't it? A gaming diary of this has happened today, I've looked at this, Uh, we got that, we've tried this, we played this, here's an idea for next time you play that game. Exactly. Um, This kind of jazz. And so, uh, and to clarify, limes, there might just be, I mean, reference pair also said he would do a guest post, I think. Uh, so that would be very cool. Uh, his favourite game is, of course, Bonanza, which is by a famous designer, I can't remember the name of. So anyway, um, the important thing is that if you choose not to subscribe, it wouldn't matter because the site wouldn't yeah. at all degrade in quality. In fact, hopefully it would get better, even for people who don't pay. So yeah, we just want to voice this. We want to throw it out there. If you're interested in subscribing, if you'd be interested in throwing us some money, please, please, please just post in the comments and let us know if this is a good idea or not. Because if... Cause Doing things like recording the commentaries will actually take a lot of time and energy. So if this is going to flop, we should probably know now, really. <laughs> so if we see no nothing in the comments about subscribing, then we'll know it's a stupid idea, and we'll you know go back to the drawing board. And we won't be mad. No, uh, this I'll be is a bit the mad. Thing. You'll be very mad. I'll throw. Um, you have to give the house back. <laughs> yeah, I would. Uh, but yeah, no, it's very much a thing that you, we've thought about for a while. But we don't want to. We don't want to cut people out of anything that we do. We don't want to throw loads of pop-up adverts around. Really, do if we did any? Have you just eaten the pen? No, you just... I, I was biting it, and a bit of it came off in my mouth. So yes, actually, functionally, I did just eat the pen, which probably speaks of uh, of the height. So send money now, please, because <laughs> the situation's desperate. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's very much what would you like? What would you be willing to pay for? And really, don't also. I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but don't throw huge amounts of money anyway, because. Yeah, you know, a few dollars does make a difference. Yeah, am I supposed oh, sure. to just ask for lots of money? Well, it depends if they're rich. Anyway, look, we've put that idea out there. God, let's get back to talking about board games. Paul, roll the dice. Oh, God, okay. But yeah, just tell us what you think and what you like. And, uh, Paul, stop rolling the dice like that. It looks suggestive. I don't know why I'm doing it that way. Uh, One! Uh, Paul, take it away. Yeah, so... Um, this is a game that I've talked about a few times because people know that I really, really like it and it's one of my favourites or probably one of my top two. And we were talking, we hinted about it earlier when we were talking about games, about being bad at games because I'm bad <laughs> at this game and I really like it. And the game is Agricola. Um, and I'd like to ask you what you think in a minute. Uh, I, I am fascinated by it. I first played it a few years ago now and I had an amazing time playing it over about two days and I sort of became hooked 
and it was very drug-like for me, and I couldn't stop. So, if you're not aware, Agricola is a... What, you couldn't stop? Oh, God, we'll get back to that. You know, so, no, you should probably explain what the game actually is. Okay. Yes. Agricola is a, huge, a game that's huge, huge, huge in Germany. It's massive, possibly the biggest Euro game off the guitar. It's a game about being a farmer in, I think, God, 17th century Germany? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so every player gets their own private board, which is a plot of land on which you can do all kinds of seductive stuff, like build pens for wild boars and sheep, and you can have horses, and you can make bread, and you can God, crops, and you crops. have to you vegetables. grow you your vegetables. house. Okay, if you want to know what kind of game it is, it's a game that penalises you at the end if you don't have a vegetable. Like, that is the degree of nerdiness that we're dealing with here. But the game is, is beautiful. It's, it, it's a worker placement game, allowing you to sort of you have a limited number of family members, you put them on a central board to gain benefits. Certain benefits or resources whether that's that you then... wood or reeds or a vegetable. Or, or whatever, which of course you then take back to your own personal board and you add to it whether that's a new ploughed field or a new room of your house or some fences... Um, well, some wood, which you then use another worker to turn into fences. And, and it has a weird tension to it, because you need to feed your family permanently. At the end, Yes, you're right. At the end of every season, which is usually, I think, two or four rounds, uh, the, the year ends and you look at the amount of food you have, and you have to, as real Germans do, only eat once a year before you <laughs> hibernate. And... Um, if you don't have enough food, you go begging, and that's not very good because you, you lose victory points. As you said, you also lose victory points if there is anything missing from your farm. Yep, you need to fill up your entire board. You need fruit, vegetables, wheat. You have to have a farm that has everything. Otherwise, you have to have a boar, you have to have a sheep, you have to have cattle, you have to have rooms, you have to have <laughs> walls, I think, that aren't wood because that's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, so the, the thing that, if, if there's one thing that gives a grickler spark, it's this um, uh, idea that. This constant tension to A, fill your farm, and B, feed your family. And this weird thing where you can grow your family to do more, but then you need to feed them more. Yeah. And they're just food black holes which slurp vegetables in. Any vegetable within three miles, it'll just be vanished and your kid will be doubled. All that. And, and the thing that you said that you need everything. You're aware that whatever is out there, whatever resources are on the central board, you, you need to grab a cow at some point. <laughs> and, and also not eat it. Historically at the end of accurate, the year. really. Um, yeah, and it has room for wonderful combos. Like if you insert an entire cow into an oven, then it bursts into food. <laughs> but the, um, uh, the the other thing that gives it uh, incredible weight is it's it just. It, I played it for the first time recently, and it, I, what, I, what surprised me is it's just actually comedically generous with the um, the cards it comes with. So mm. every player at the start of the game gets a selection of cards, minor improvements they can add to their farm, like wells or bread oven but this deck is huge and it's unique you also got a massive deck of occupations whether you're a forester or a choir boy or a postman or anything and not only is that a huge huge deck of these cards but you get decks that are based on whether you want to interact with other people whether you're an advanced player or a beginner yeah. and there's a family game in there that's radically different to a base Agricola like Agricola's like 60 quid because it's imported and that, that seems really expensive but the amount you get you with do it, actually get a lot of components that yeah. are pretty neat and you get a lot of stuff in there, but uh, I want to—I'll mm, talk. I'll ask you a question in a minute okay. if I can finish any of my sentences, because <laughs> um, I'm kind of fascinated by something. But first of all, yeah, I—I I, I love how you've got a game where you can actually build up a kind of a farming engine where once you're growing your own food, you can feed your own people, so you shouldn't be taking food off the main board. Once you have a job that maybe gets you food or wood or something you shouldn't have to take the food the idea is you're slowly becoming self-sufficient as well if you're playing the game well it's kind of the theme is just glorious it's yeah. like it's one of the best themes of all time excuse me um, yeah just the actual placing of a farm the putting down of sheep the wintering the oh well I have enough food for this winter it's 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 very very mathematical but so evocative um, 
and then there's an expansion which I haven't played which I believe adds bogs to your farm there's, yeah, there's you need one to harvest peat two, and um, you need fire otherwise with, you get sick I am right that there's one with aliens yeah I'm sure I'm right that there's an unofficial one that just adds aliens for some reason <laughs> it's true I don't know why that's happened uh, what was the um, question you were going to ask me well, it's a worker placement game, ah. and are you saying that you quite like it, then? Well, I'm not going to swear off all worker placement games. Uh, Shut up, sit down fans should know that I'm not generally a fan of worker placement games because I find them very passive. I don't like the fact that I'm building up something privately rather than actually mashing and interacting with other yeah. players, and that is true. I don't... Which is, I think, a fair enough view, really. It's fine, yeah. I really just play games for... Uh, the phrase I've used on Shut up, sit down before is, I think, emotional and mental frottage... If you don't know what frottage means, F R O T T A G E, don't kind, look it it's up. It's a kind of cottage. It's a kind of yes. It's a, it's a yeah, it's a kind of cottage, and that's what I play games for to feel like I'm in a cottage, cottage with people. Yeah, imagine I was cottaging with people. Shall we move on? Yes. To so where you are, um, don't, um, don't look up cottaging either, people. So um, God, yeah, I didn't get much out of a grickle. I played it, and I really appreciated it for what it was. But you know what? I don't think I've ever been so impressed by a board game by not really wanting to play it again. Really? Yeah, and it was it was just a show. <laughs> to be fair, uh, the thing that made my game of Agricola even more exciting than the usual game of Agricola was that the person I was playing it with, uh, Hi Tom, forgot to put out all of the cards when you're only pl- when you're playing with three people. Uh, additional cards to make the game easier, which means that uh, we were all <laughs> subsistence farmers for the first half of the game before Paul, uh, Tom realised that half of this board was missing. So yeah, it was this thing of me going, oh, hang on, this is really hard. And we all, by the end of the third year, still only had the default two character members. Oh None of us had had a baby because if we brought it into this world, it would just, <laughs> it would like, yeah, no, I don't even want to complete that sentence. That's incredible. But yeah, it was fabulous. And it made me realise that rather than a game of building up some big, glorious farm, I'd actually probably rather play a game of just hand-to-mouth. That would It's become, kind of bleak and more exciting. It would be, I think you said this before, it would be the Vlada version of the game. Yes. Would be, you, you just about barely succeed and your farm doesn't, <laughs> farm hasn't burned down. So, well done. Yeah, the Vlada Travel version would be you start with a huge farm and then need to abandon bits of it as members of your family die. And Actually, a board game came out recently called um, Village, which um, a yeah. Euro game, which is sort of very high-profile Euro game in which you control a family, but the cute thing about that, the mechanic people like, is that all of your workers uh, you, you, like in a curriculum you need to birth new workers but you, workers actually die of old age as well so you have this kind of conveyor belt system where you constantly need new workers but also they're constantly dying uh, in an attempt to gain places on board and build up your I believe village I didn't know that wow it, it's, it's, the, it's the mechanic sounds like about. I it's might the like that board game th- oh you might actually yeah maybe that you should send an email to the people who make it Maybe I will. I think they make Kingdom Builder as well, so you can email them saying, I didn't like Kingdom Builder. I didn't but say, I'm all right, I said it's fine. <laughs> I said it's fine, a bit like that time where we said Arkham Horror was quite good, but we don't recommend it. Yeah. And everyone just went, oh my god, they hate Arkham Horror. Yeah, no. And I was like, why are you doing that voice, everyone? <laughs> Should uh, I just roll, roll the dice? Roll the dice. Yeah. Here we go, everybody. Five. Five. I'm so glad it's not come up with the same number twice. Uh, this is something I have to ask well I know a bit about well, I don't, I let's imagine we're on uh, Prime Minister's Question Time I'm Prime Minister you're asking me questions about Netrunner because the world's gone to shit apparently and, and there's nothing better I to would, ask the Prime Minister about you know what that would be more intelligent than a lot of stuff but anyway <laughs> so yes I've heard about Netrunner it's a card game but it's not just a collectible card game but it's not a deck building game <laughs> no okay so it's a living co- it, well first of all Netrunner was originally published in the late 90s by Richard Garfield who designed Robo Rally and Magic the Gathering so he's one of the gods of game design yes. um, Netrunner came out it bombed 
Fantasy Flight have recently picked up the license and have been remaking it. Um, they're selling it as a living card game, which is Fantasy Flight's way of doing card games. It's not a collectible... Co- well, it is collectible. But the way it works is it all exists in self-contained sets. So you buy the starter set, you're done, you're away, you don't have to buy any more. But they also release expansion decks, which aren't randomised, so they're essentially micro-expansions. Every deck you buy has the same cards for everybody, right. and then you add that to your game. So hypothetically, you can buy every card they ever release. So it's a bit like playing, buying a regular expansion for regular board games. Yeah, it is, but with the difference that they they don't stop their endless numbers of them, one every month, basically. The allegations that I've heard, Prime Minister, are that it's a science fiction based <laughs> board game that well, that, 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 that's somewhat. That's off exactly right. Uh, William Gibson or Philip K. Dick. Yeah, well, it's um, it's the Android universe, so um, uh, all of the corporations and stuff are named after various science fiction. Tropes and all that. It's got Wayland Corporation, I think, which is the corporation of Alien. Oh yeah, the android making people, I think. Yeah. So anyway, the way Netrunner works is it's it's an incredible design. I love it. I love this game. Can't wait till we review it. Netrunner is an asymmetrical card game in which one person, two player game, which one person plays a hacker, the other person plays a corporation. Now the hacker's goal is to take agenda cards from the corporation's deck. The corporation's goal is to place those agenda cards face down and develop them by placing down uh, tokens on the agenda cards. Uh, so the corporation trying to develop these agendas and then finish them. As soon as they finish them, the, the corporation gets the points. If the hacker finds them and steals them first, then he gets the points for that. So uh, you're, you're just sort of eating ice at this point. I've just dropped an ice cube. Carry on. Are you having ice for dinner? Please send money now. Uh, so the, here's the interesting thing about Netrunner. The hacker can make runs on servers, which are little sort of piles that the corporation makes of their cards. But the hacker can also perform hacking runs on your hand, in case there are any agendas in there. He can make runs on your deck, looking at the top card of your deck. He can make runs on your discard pile. So if you ever have a hand that's full of agendas and you discard them, the runner can raid your discard pile and look, just rifle through it looking for agendas. I mean, I watched you play some of it, and you can deliberately sabotage that, can't you, by putting stuff in your pile, hoping people will run into it. So here's the deal. The corporation is ultimately just playing this sort of cyber security front. You can put ice, or intrusion countermeasures, in front of everything, from your hand to the remote servers you set up, and ultimately the runner has no idea where your agendas are hiding. Like, hypothetically, if I'm the corporation and I play, you know, like, um, if I draw a hand of crap, like, all agendas, I'm like, oh, no, I can't do anything with this. And on my turn, I just set them all up in remote servers. You're going to assume they're traps because I haven't even bothered defending them. So maybe you give me that one extra turn I need, and which is, oh, it's my next turn, you haven't raided them, oh, thank God, and I draw a hand with some ice in it, I then put the ice in front of those things, and you go, well, now, hang on, why is he protecting them? Yeah. And which one do I go for? And so, and of course, it being a card game, there's all kinds of powers to do with uh, all different kinds of ice you can encounter, different ways to break through that ice. And the, my favourite thing about it, aside from the fact that it's a beautiful game, is that Fantasy Vite have established all these different factions you can play. As the hacker, you've got three wonderful choices, one of which is the makers, who just hack because they can, and they just carve up ice, but they're not particularly interested in doing anything else. There's the criminals, who just rob endlessly, they have all the money they need to play with, but aren't necessarily good at anything else. And there's the anarchists, who are my favourite action uh, faction, and they do beautiful stuff, like uh, one of the first cards I played as the anarchist faction was a nightclub with flavour text that was like, you know, it's a great play to go, place to go to lose yourself, and the thing is you go there and it gives you money, but you lose time. Uh, or it'd give you cards, like contacts, connections, but you lose time. Yeah. And then I realised about halfway through the game that there's no way to actually not go to this club. As long as your anarchists know it's that they're going to go every turn. So essentially for the entire game, you've given yourself an automatic phase where you lose a time unit of that turn and draw cards. Which is glorious, and the anarchist faction is all about giving yourself brain damage and less time and less money wow. just to motor through ice because, like, like the psycho you are. 
But a lot of the tactic then is uh, trying to tempt people. In, it's bluffing. It's trying to tempt yep. people to attack you, hiding traps for them, laying it's, something. To, yeah, pushing well, your luck. I this is the, it, well. it's absolutely about luck pushing. The game I played, the last game I played, I won because as the anarchists, I was the, dis- the discard pile was getting really big, and I was like, I wonder if there's an agenda in there. So, and it wasn't even defended, so idly. The last time, you know, I really needed to use it to build up my defences because the corporation is getting traces on me. It's all getting a bit hot, but I think, no, I'll just look at the discard part. And there were about four agendas in it, which won me the game immediately. And it was just this wonderful moment of, oh, so the corporation was putting them in there with a straight face, knowing that I could just look, if I could just find the time. And I did, and sure enough. So, yeah, it's absolutely about bluffing. One of the four corporations, of which you can put your deck from, is about laying traps. So you go, oh, I'll raid that, and then you access it, and it's just like a, a security agent who shoots you. And yeah, no, it, it's a fantastic, excellent, excellent card game. But I'll, it's the it's the first of Fantasy Flight's living card games. They've been trying this for a long time. This one, I'm sold on. I'm going to be buying everything they do for it. It's fantastic. Definitely look forward Blimey. to our review. Yeah, I can't recommend it highly enough. Well, Fair enough. I'll probably have lost interest in it by the time we do a review, and I'll tell everyone to not buy it. But you know, for now, I'm having a great time. I'm gonna roll the dice. Do it again. Three. Three. Uh, what's that Fortress say? Fortress America. Oh, of course. Um, yeah, now, we played this the weekend, didn't we? We did. Me and Paul, best, best buds. Fortress America. With a cool glass of Baileys. Uh, yeah. Um, so we're going to review this really soon, so we're just going to cover it briefly. Paul, what's that? Okay. Yes. No, I keep wanting to talk about just fun rather yeah, than... Yeah, no. Um, so, yes. uh, what would you? How would you describe Fortress America to people? It's a bit of a definitely a certain kind of survivalist's fantasy. <laughs> in a way. Uh, America is under attack from all sides immediately by everybody from the south and the west and the east, um, from powers that aren't named. And the idea is uh, they're all hitting the shores of America, and running in. And the American player, if they can either hold them out, well, no, you have to hold them out, don't you, for ten turns as the American yep. player. Um, and if you can do that, then you've won the game. Whereas the combined cooperative forces of all the other yeah, sides... Yeah, which is three players versus one in this case, so, yeah. which is super interesting. Yeah, it is. It's very interesting. Uh, they're trying to seize, if I'm right, 18 American yeah. cities, and they'll gradually work their way inland. And at the start of the game, everyone starts off with loads of troops on mm-hmm. its side, but you gradually whittle them down. The Americans gradually gain partisans as the game goes along, yeah. which aren't quite as effective as helicopter gunships, but they're quite good. And the Americans also build mega lasers, which just <laughs> shoot everywhere across the board. And so you end up with this game that I think it's deliberately designed to seesaw, where initially America is being absolutely pummeled by combined forces from other, you know, all around the globe. Yeah. But as your troops get whittled down, as America gradually recruits more partisans, turns more of the lasers on, plugs them in, <laughs> shoots back, the seesaw starts to tip. Yeah, no, it's, it's unreal. The, the 18 cities thing was great because by about the 10th city, the person uh, playing America in our game was just saying, I've lost. And we were saying, no, keep going. I might as well keep going. Yeah. And he went on to win the game because the game is so slanted in those early stages to which you lose a city, lose a city, lose a city. You're losing eight cities a turn and you think, oh, well, I've lost, haven't I? And then actually it goes from eight cities to four cities to two to one at which point they've taken all the cities near their attacking borders and they're just crawling inland because they've all I mean I was attacking from the south I was gradually running out of guys (laughs) you got your supply lines cut at one point yeah which is amazing because America doesn't have to worry about its lines but all the attacking forces do and if America actually severs you from your invading uh, coast then men just explode like pinatas 
And then on the east coast, uh, resistance fighters kept appearing and retaking cities. Yeah, and then we realised on the very last side of the game that, that there was no way... Because the, the other cute thing is if America ever manages to retake one of these cities, it gets an extra reinforcement yeah. card, which is huge, which means even more partisans pop up. So if America can just take one city back, then maybe next time he can take two, and then maybe eight, and so, yeah. It's glorious. We've never played a game with a sense of pace like it. And also just lots of... Steel, a lot of little, it's little a plastic lot of figures. It's really, it's kind of classic Ameritrash in a way, isn't it? It's loads of figures, loads of production, and a few sort of randomised events. But I think the de- the design's good enough, and the balance is good enough in there that it's actually quite good fun as yeah. a light war game with a lot of dice rolling. And I think a lot of serious gamers might turn their noses up at it and say it's too silly. It is. It's tremendously silly. But you know what? I like it because as a piece of game design, it has that pace. It's so it's weird. I mean, had fun. Quite good. Yeah. I also, it's good fun. I'll tell you what, the screw Las Vegas. I will never, never look at Las Vegas the same way again. Not on a globe. Not if I go there. Oh, in that real was life. amazing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The way that you, your forces sort of washed over it and washed past My it. My Chinese and... somehow managed to turn Las Vegas into the Somme and just... Men died. I don't even know what the hell you could defend. I just imagined an American in every single hotel room window in Las Vegas. With a sniper rifle. Yeah. yeah. It was it was horrible. I just couldn't take it. The entire game I was trying to take Vegas. And didn't something happen at the very end where suddenly it burped up hundreds of soldiers? <laughs> and, like, they all came out the casinos at the end of the day and saw America had been invaded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, emerging from their gambling binges and uh, and then promptly kicked, kicked in the heads of the two Chinese troops left. Wow. God, yeah, weird game, weird game. Uh, let's roll the dice again. Okay. I mean, we're, we're, we're doing well. Not much to cover now. Three, Fortress America. America. So Fortress so America is a game about... Uh, we played about, this the other weekend, didn't Yeah, we? we did, yeah. And you invaded... <laughs> I can't do this, I'm sorry. Alpha. Roll again. Four. Lib- oh, Libertalia. Hmm, Libertalia. Talia, Talia, Talia. Talia, I don't know. Talia. Who cares? Libertalia cares, probably. So, Libertalia is a game that I've been playing recently. Paul hasn't had the pleasure because no. he's been face down in a lot of work recently. You like it though, there's pirates. Work, they work, yeah. I mean, drugs is my work. I investigate drugs. Investigate? Where? <clears throat> Who I, just, I, I have to this. test them all for the local dealers to confirm for the police. Are you saying to, you're a mule? I'm like a drugs dog. I have to sniff the drugs and I, I wag my tongue and I say, I don't yeah, want to know drugs. about this. You're a dog that talks. So Libertalia... Oh, God. Libertalia is... A, um, I, t- I took some before we started. Do you want some? No, I, uh, no, I just want to talk about Libertalia. Uh, so Libertalia is a game that landed with us recently. It's super cool. We're really looking forward to reviewing it for you guys. Um, definitely one of, I think, if not in the top 20 games of the year. Um, it is a game where everybody plays pirates. And you're all yeah. attacking ships, working together to raid ships. And at the end of the game, which is after you've raided a total of 18 ships, so that's a long, long-ass campaign of pirating. It takes about an hour of real time. Um, the person, one of you with the most gold, is the winner. But you're not really working together, are you? No, you hate each other. <laughs> like, like all real-life pirates, ultimately you're all trying to screw each other over. So the, the way it works, basically, is that, um, uh, yeah, the game starts on the youngest player, out of the, de- the same deck of 30 pirates, ranging from parrots to monkeys to mutineers to voodoo captains to a, go- a water goddess... To the governor's daughter you all have the same deck the youngest player draws I believe nine characters at this deck you know maybe they get the monkey and the deck hand and the cannoneer and the chef and the barman and someone else you all then go through your deck and draw these same nine characters and every ship you go through you, know, you all have to play one character so the game is different every time you play because you all have a different hand of cards now all the characters have a special ability and a different rank the rank is important because as you all send forward a ship like let's say there's four players you all send in a person the person with the highest rank gets to pick first, and that's great, because there's some really valuable treasure. There's treasure chests and maps and rum and sparkling doubloons. There's also 
bullshit. If you uh, have to, if you, because everybody has to take something. So if you have a really low, low rank and you get the Spanish officer, that means your crewman is killed. If you take the cursed treasure, that means you have negative three points. But I mentioned they all have special abilities, right? Yeah. So, for example, if you play the monkey and the monkey survives the boarding action, then um, all the cursed relics you picked up throughout the entire game get passed to the player on your left. For example, uh, if you play the preacher, then you remove all the treasure on that boat you're invading but one piece. So hypothetically, wow. if you play the preacher and everyone else plays their captains because there's tons of you know treasure chests, you play your priest, you reveal the priest, and the priest takes away all the treasure but the cursed treasure... The captain who gets first pick has to take the interest left, which is the cursed treasure. And then maybe next time he uses his cannoneer to kill the barman who's been on your island generating gold for the whole game. So, yeah, the cute thing about it, though, is, I mean, it's just fun. It's just really, really simple. Uh, and, yeah, just wonderful piece of design. But the fabulous thing is that you, it's played in three stages of six ships, right? And I mentioned you draw nine characters. Yes. So um, you have your nine characters and you each play one of them, which means you have three left. But everyone has a different three players left. Then the youngest player draws six new characters and you all, into, all add into your hand, but now you've all got very slightly different hands because you didn't play those three characters. Maybe somebody has their monkey left. Maybe they keep that monkey to the very end of the game. So that's another tactic is you're trying to manipulate the characters that you've got yeah. to... Yeah, so for example, let's yeah. say you've got a mutineer who kills off any characters that you have might, that might otherwise survive, and you think that sounds pointless, but then in the last turn of the game you get a voodoo doctor who, when you play him, gives you one gold, one gold for every character in your graveyard. So if you've been keeping them both simultaneously, then you go, oh, and you use the mutineer to kill everybody, then you use the voodoo priest. Yeah. So, but it's, it's cute, because people end up, the, like, it just has a nice pace. To begin with, you're all playing exactly the same game, and it's just a mind game, it's like Citadels. Then, like, by the second round, you know, things start varying. By the third round, it's just an endless game of people revealing a chef, and you go, you had a chef? Why didn't you use the... And, yeah, and bickering, mostly. A lot of bickering, a lot of fun. It's just... You know, there's, there's not that much to it. We cover so many games, like, I don't know, last episode we did Middle Earth Quest, and it takes so long to explain why it's cool. Libertad, you just go, here's the setup. It works, it's fun, it's a card game, there's a board, the components are cute. You'll buy it, you'll have fun with your friends, you'll laugh, you'll drink. That's it, you know? And that's really great. It's just a lovely, lovely piece of design. That's very conclusive. Yeah. I don't have any questions about that now. Like, I just <laughs> had a game. You could ask me what the governor's daughter does. So the governor's daughter <laughs> doesn't do uh, anything at all unless she's the only governor's daughter on the board, at which point she's worth 12 gold, which is a game-winning amount of money. Which means if you reveal a governor's daughter, everyone else goes, ah, and then quietly tries to bump her off so that they can then play theirs. Or if you get the governor's daughter and then sit on it to the very end of the game, you can suddenly reveal it on the last turn, and she's worth 12 gold. But we don't recommend sitting on any governor's daughters, do we? No, not after the last time. I really thought that... Well, never mind. Let's not talk about that. Shall I roll? Yeah. 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 Uh, Three. Fortress America. The thing is, we played Fortress America last weekend, and it's an interesting game, isn't it? <laughs> um, Six. Langu- uh, language. Language, it says on the piece of paper. It's like opening your philosophy paper at the end of term and picking a sub language. Well, I, this seemed like a fun thing to talk about before no, we were it, coming it could up the be. list. It, well, it was more something that we were just bouncing around uh, that I thought was based on the interesting story that you told me about. Yeah, I was tell a- me the story first, and then I'll <coughs> say like my side of the. <laughs> yeah, okay, let's go for it. So this will be a cultural exchange. So I was in my <laughs> game shop uh, this weekend, and I was talking to them about how because I'm 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 going to do a talk at Nottingham's Game City later on this week about how board games are in a kind of golden age right now. I'm doing homework for it, and I was talking to the guy who runs the game shop and saying, you know, board games seem to be sell- you seem to have more than you ever had here when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and he said, well, no, we didn't. And then someone else in the shop mentioned that in the, their local games club uh, here in London, in Finchley, um, 
anyone who's been playing games during the 90s to actually speaks German because they learned German so they could sustain their board gaming hobby. That's the degree to which board games have come in the last 15 years. Now we have a board game shop with everything in English, you know, but 15 years ago, only Germany was doing this. And the people who do what you listening to this podcast, or me or Paul did, they were so into this hobby, they actually had to learn another language, which I found fascinating. Well, they, you were saying they had to grab cheat sheets or things like that. Tra- yeah, which you would know, be the, the simpler way to do it, yeah. So you buy a game at the board game shop, and then they get, here's the English manual, it's a piece of printed A4 on my dad's computer. Um, or yeah, or you're going home and you're doing your best to match them together and, and do, like you say, rudimentary German, trying to learn some of the phrases for next turn and <laughs> starving. And But, I mean, you're right that uh, we. I think we're in a really good time right now. We're very lucky with the way that things are. It's the police. Uh, we're very lucky um, because there's so much more available and it's so much more available locally. I remember, like, 15 years ago as a kid trying to buy board games that were £60 on import for a pretty not very big board not like a £60 big massive you know good quality just an average board game with no plastic stuff everything was cardboard and it was wow. 60 quid because it had to come all the way from Mars somewhere <laughs> really far yeah the, uh, the like production quality is getting so much nicer as well with like loads of stuff being done in China and the nice wooden bits from, from Germany it's like yeah, I think mm. if everybody listened to this, uh, we'll probably be talking more about this now because actually it's shut- it's fascinating. We only got into board games recently, but we're discovering really that this hobby that we've walked into is newer than we thought. Is, it, yeah, it's kind of amazing because, uh, I mean, we've touched on it. We touched on it when we were kids, didn't we? And there were things that we both did, but it was yeah. a lot more niche, though. It was a lot narrower. Um, now is a, an amazing time to be getting into it and a lovely time to be doing shut up and sit down and trying to grab other people and saying guys guys please try this yeah look at this especially because, so because the sales figures seem to be increasing which yeah. is nice because people should be rewarded for making good games yeah but it means that we'll be getting even more cool board games down the line uh, nice. uh, but yeah no I was just going to say on it's a bit nerdy now, isn't it? On Board Game Geek, the whole translation for every game, they tell you how translatable every game yeah, is. Yeah, which seems kind of not. It seems kind of crazy now, but actually, it's, it's more relevant now. We know this. Yeah, a few years ago, it would have been more of a thing to say this game might not be available in other languages. Here's how easy it is to translate because something like Castles of Burgundy, which we really, really like, we really recommend that game. Uh, has what? No writing anywhere. Yeah, no almost language none. on the board. Just a manual. No, That's just it. numbers and. Tokens. Race for the Galaxy is the same. It, like, uh, and then there's. It's just got a few symbols, mostly. <laughs> yeah, oh no, I suppose it does have quite a lot of text. But yeah, all the same, it's funny seeing um, board game designers actually. It's one of the ways that board game design is advancing. That actually yeah. people are doing a lot of pictographic stuff now, which is cool and interesting. And we could probably, you know, like, I reckon ten years from now, pictographic stuff might be even bigger than it is. But you I mean, God, might it, well be right. It paints an interesting picture of like walking into a bar in you know Morocco in the year 2020, and there's a bunch of people playing a board game, and you can walk up and sit down with them because you know what the symbols. I don't know. Even though you can't speak the language, you know what all the symbols mean on the card. Yeah. Can... Well, actually, Perudo is a dice game called Liar's Dice. They play the Pirates of the Caribbean. It's a fantastic yes. dice game. But yeah, I, I've actually uh, when I used to do traveling, I went into a club in China, and Perudo is really big in China. And I had one of my, in fact, my favorite ever story traveling. God, this actually foreshadows my board game career, but my favourite ever travelling story was walking into a club in China and playing Perudo with people who I didn't speak the language with. And then we exchanged cigarettes. Because all you need to do is a symbol for the number. Yeah, exactly. You just use uh, sign language with your hand for the number and then you can just play Perudo with people. It's kind of amazing, really. Grew up on the other side of the world. Yeah, no, it was was really, really cool. Although the opposite to that, I was... I've just remembered now, it's popped into my head when we were talking about Twilight Imperium earlier, before the podcast, was, you know, there are some really text-heavy games out there where you, the game is actually a hell of a lot easier because there's so much text on a card in the game. You, 
pull something out of a deck. It tells you what it does. You don't have to go to the manual. That's kind of a lovely thing to have in a complicated game, isn't it? Yeah, that it absolutely. advantage of something appears, you know what it does. You don't need to consult a manual to stop the game. You can just hold it in your hand and work out what you're going to do next. <laughs> no, exactly. I think we're on entirely the same page. What a wonderful place that it is uh, that we live in. Anyway, uh, that's... Yeah, I don't know. There was something I was going to say. And Go it's, it's like buzzing around my head like a fly... Uh, oh yeah, no, I was just going to mention to everybody, uh, people have been asking for a match report, and uh, actually, yeah. it's my, uh, god this is nerdy, I am no, just, this is really good, I'm pretty nerdy, okay, so this Saturday is my birthday, and I'm getting a bunch of uh, people around to, it's actually my birthday today, no, yesterday, it's my birthday yesterday, god, I'm like Doctor Who, <laughs> just regenerating, don't know how old I am, so it's my birthday, my birthday. I'm having a big birthday on Saturday, in which I'm getting uh, five friends over to play Twilight Imperium, and what we're going to do is we're going to provide Shut Up and Sit Down fans and readers with the thing you guys have been asking for a lot, which is a match report. We're going to do a video with diaries from all the players, all six of us, uh, and just showing the map and like giving you a kind of documentary-style thing of what happened in our game and why Twilight Imperium is cool. I think is a great game for it because it tells the best stories of any game. We've... It tells really good stories. It's visually lovely to look at. Yeah. There's a lot of plotting going on behind the scenes and negotiations and, and deals being made and broken. No, it's definitely the best game we've ever encountered for like a diary-style thing. That, except maybe like Fiasco. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. But uh, no, I think it's going to be really good fun, and I very much look forward to doing it. And when it's done, I think all of you should watch it at least about ten times. Yeah, no, yeah. And be. if you don't, you can't come back to the website. No, we will because we'll we'll how will we keep them out. Can you uh, do that? I there's one thing left on our list. All right, uh, it says here number seven, number major seven. Paul I rolled a seven. Oh my god, he rolled a seven! Wow. That... No, hang on. Paul, I was, they can't tell where you're rolling. It's four. Seven! There we go. Okay, wow. That wasn't ah. tedious at all. <laughs> so, uh, Mage Knight, I want to mention because... Um, There's an expansion for coming. Mage Knight. So, if you haven't heard this, if you're listening to our podcast on the way to work, park the car. Uh, well, if you're standing up, you know, working at your job, uh, putting down. eggs in egg cartons, sit down. Sit, put There's, the eggs down, sit yeah, down. Um, put the chicken down if you've got a job handling chickens. And if you are seated and in your car and not driving and not about to be run over, we should tell you that an expansion for Mage Knight's coming. You may be surprised by our enthusiasm because you remember Mage Knight as the game we told you basically not to buy in, in episode a, in two, a season way, four. Yes. Uh, the thing is that I think we didn't make clear is that we said Mage Knight was absurdly complicated and we described it as a board game as board yes. game. The thing is that myself and Paul are board gamers. Um, we well, I, I and so while we were kind of playing down our excitement and enthusiasm for Major Knight because it's so complicated, we still love that game. Um, even if we don't necessarily think that everyone out there should buy it, hmm. and so the fact that there's an expansion coming has made me uh, super pumped. This is built on the fact that we heard a story that originally Major Knight, oh, yeah. Major Knight has loads packed into it already, which is quite clever. It's got a couple. Of, it's got the deck building system. It's, it's got, got scenarios. Got loads of cards. Four characters. But Vlada was originally going to, we were told, put more stuff in the game. And I think yeah. his kids said, no, you can't put that much in the game. It'll collapse into a black hole and kill everyone. Yeah. It was exactly what they said. Yes. Uh, but no, this is a true story. Uh, one of Vlada's co-workers, um, uh, we just, who watch chat games, who we absolutely adore, Philip, if you're listening, uh, we love you. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he told us that Vlada's pitch to WizKids was so big and so complicated that um, they had to break it down into bits. So this expansion is is what, the, rest of the rest of it, really. Yeah, we don't know how big it was. 
Um, but yeah, uh, so that's going to be like incredibly exciting. And also it's going to make um, a game that we complain about being too big and too complicated even more big and complicated. So, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, if you, if you don't like big and complicated games, don't get it. And if you do like big and complicated games, then look for it and... Buy Mage Knight if you haven't done it already because it's... Useless advice, isn't it? If you like this kind of thing, you should get it. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well done, Paul. <laughs> uh, those police, I don't know if... The, they actually stopped outside. I think they're surrounding the house now, so this would be a good time for us to go. Okay, yeah. If I sniffle this now and it's inside me, they can't... No, good and idea. I'll just go back to being like a police dog. Okay, and, you do um, that. Okay. Yeah. All right, everybody. Um, uh, if you if you don't understand what's going on, it's because you're dreaming. You're about to wake to up. None of this ever happened. And you're going to wake up, and it's going to be fine. And you're going to go out and buy a Okay, bye, bye, everybody. Bye. bye. Turn, I'll turn off the lights. Okay. Shh.